0: This is Ryan from CanadianDice.ca, and you are listening to Tales of a Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the Tale of a Manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The last episode begins with Catsbane picking up the companion's payment from Sister Aranesse. Given her efforts towards secrecy and the lack of warmth in their meeting, it is an odd thing that she did not have it sent by messenger. Perhaps with a payment this valuable, she wanted to give it to Catsbane personally. We find out soon enough what is so precious about it. When Catsbane meets his friends at the Jester's Cup Tavern, they open the package to find, along with a handsome sum in gold coins, a magical potion. Specifically, it is a double dose of a healing potion, a real treasure. Over a meal of pork bone soup, Shawnee reminisces over her childhood and we finally learn, in a rather lengthy dramatis persona section, how she got the scar on her chin. When the evening's entertainment has concluded and they've all eaten and drank their fill, the companions leave and head home, but Yellowfly changes their course along the way, secretly communicating to the others that they are being followed. He leads them deeper into the warren and then into an alley where they hope to ambush their tail. But the tail gets wise and does not enter the trap. Instead, they run. The companions pursue, but ultimately fail to catch the stranger who had been following them. Chapter six, Part one, Day one hundred and five, midnight. Party status: Yellowfly, nineteen of nineteen hit points. Cole, eighteen of eighteen. Shawnee. 16 of 16. Catsbane. 8 of 8. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized. Read languages. Magic missile. And mirror image. Did you get a look at them, Shawnee? Any details at all that might help? Yellowfly's voice was breathless. No... Not really. I think it was a man, but even even that I can't be sure of," replied the rogue. Do you think he followed us all the way from the Jester's Cup? Probably. He was fast, whoever he was. Yellowfly had his hands on his hips. He was still winded. They all were. He got lucky, said Shanae bitterly after a moment. I suppose he saw the money. That might tempt some people to follow us home burgle the place later. I don't know. Perhaps. Shawnee looked up at the sky as if hoping to see an answer there, but all she saw was the silvery disc of the moon, big and bright through the falling snow. There was a thin, hazy crimson ring around it, like a halo. She hadn't noticed it before. Catsbean saw it, too. That's a devil's ring. At least, that's what the priests the all call it. I read about it in their library, he said in a flat tone. Il Koten in the old tongue. I understand it to be something of a bad omen. Clearly, agreed Shawnee. What should we do? asked Cole. He was beginning to shiver now that the adrenaline of the chase had worn off. We can't go back to the apartment now, replied Yellowfly, but I know a place nearby where we can spend the night. Mother's tears, I do not like being followed. We need to talk about a few things, but first, let's get out of the cold. (laughs) Yellowfly led them to a homely two-story building with a snow-covered thatch roof that was so bowed in the middle it seemed it might collapse. Is this the place? asked Cole doubtfully. At least true to Yellowfly's word, it was close by. It had taken only a few minutes to get there, and although it was no beauty, shelter was shelter. The Wind of the Cliffs, affectionately called the Windy by the locals, was the kind of place that received clients all through the night. And so the door was unlocked and there was a woman, half asleep but present, at a shabby reception desk. She was as painted as one of Zarin's girls, and Cole realized that the Windy must have doubled as a house of ill repute. Yellowfly and the painted woman spoke for a while. It seemed they knew each other. Eventually, she offered him a key and a weak smile and said, Three silver bits. Yellowfly paid with a gold coin, took his change and the key, and led the group upstairs to a single large bedroom they would share for the night. Mercifully, the windy was silent, and the sounds one might have expected from such a place were not audible. When they got to their room, they locked the door behind them, and, given that there were no chairs, sat down on the mattress and the floor. Cole sat with his broad back against the door. They spoke for a while then in low tones, trying to reason out who their pursuer might have been. They hoped it was an independent and opportunistic thief, but there were other possibilities. The authorities were one of these, but they would not bother to stalk them, Yellowfly believed. They would just arrest us, and that would be that. That really just left the weeping eye, though how they had been identified was a mystery. Perhaps the Winks had a spy working at the Church of the Sacred Flame, but that did not seem very likely. Eventually, Yellowfly got up and went back downstairs to speak with the woman at the counter. Before he did, he explained, She's one of us. Janelle might have some ideas, or she might have seen something. If not, she can arrange to have our place checked out before we go back. He returned an hour later. Everyone was still awake, though it was very late by now. The feeling of being exposed and watched had made it hard to relax. Cole was even hesitant to let Yellowfly in when he knocked. This led to a decision to work out some simple codes they could use over the next few days. One pattern of knocks would indicate it's safe to let me in, and another pattern would indicate danger. Before they tried to sleep, Yellowfly shared with his companions the key points of his talk with Janelle. She had no idea who might be following us, but she can't arrange to have our apartment checked out. I asked if we could stay here another few days, and she offered me something else. She said her boss might be looking for some muscle. There's a job taking place outside the city in two days, good pay. She asked if we'd be interested in signing on. I said yes. Chapter 26 Part 2 Day 105 Midnight The key. The key. Like a mantra, Carrick had spoken these words over and over every day for more than a year. But tonight, as he stared into the androgynous metal face worked into the door, he felt somehow different. While Yellowfly was taking counsel with Janelle in the Wind of the Cliffs, Carrick, as always, was in the ruins under Whitestone Castle, literally face to face with his single obsession. The metal visage stared at him blandly tonight with hollow eyes. Sometimes it seemed to jeer at him, sometimes to gaze at him with genuine pity. Sometimes it looked at him with something akin to hunger, as though instead of warding the portal, it longed for him to open it and pass through. But so far, he had failed, and failed, and failed again. King Vincis' own mage had struggled to open this very same barrier. It had taken him a full year to find a way to open it. But Daenor had passed through. So why couldn't he? Somehow, it did not occur to Carrick to give up. A failure was not a defeat. In a sense, every failure brought him closer to success. At least, that's how he tried to see it. He considered the door the same way he did every challenge in his life. As a wizard, he'd been conducting experiments all throughout his career and by their very nature, experiments involved failure. Failure was germane to them. He felt only mild concern that he had all but abandoned his life up on the surface. Compared to the promise of what might lie behind this door, did he really care? Not a bit. The city and its fool king would take care of themselves. You must tell me what is your secret, he whispered to the face for the millionth time. The metal face shone strangely in his conjured magical light all these many months it had denied him but tonight something was different he had an idea it was small and far away but perhaps he could coax it from the depths of his memory carrick blinked he looked at the face as if seeing it for the first time he had grown so accustomed to it that he never really even saw it anymore it was a grotesque face a mockery of humanity the cheekbones were much too wide The chin was weak. The nose was a ponderous bulb. The eyes were gently sloped arches over empty pupils that stared straight ahead. The door itself was a double one. Its split drew a straight line between the eyes and cleft the nose, mouth, and chin in two. The idea continued to take shape, but it was still far away. It was a name. Then, as though his mind were a deep, dark lake, it dislodged from the silty bed of his memory and floated bubble-like to the surface. This name, it was so fragile and delicate that if he thought too hard, it might burst into nothingness. He felt his heart flutter in his chest as he leaned forward, oh so carefully, even the smallest movement might dispel the name from conscious thought, and so when it broke the surface, he spoke it in the faintest of whispers. <laughs> the face split apart as the door swung open. Chapter 26 Part 3 238 Years Ago Time Unknown Vincent's face split open in a great grin as the warrior boomed, Yes! A weapon fit for a king! He was brandishing an ornate and ancient warhammer made of black iron, decorated with swirling patterns of red gold and glittering jewels. Along the shaft and masterfully etched into the mallet were runes. The largest of them, his mages, Dainor, would someday decode, but that would be many days later, and only after much effort. I shall call it the Hammer of the West, and soon a Zacian dog shall tremble at its sight. <laughs> The great warrior Vincis was now King Vincis. Just the day before, he had defeated Queen Thanushia's champion in single combat and seized the throne in an otherwise bloodless coup. None called him usurper. He was the liberator, and the puppet queen's reign was over. Thanushia would spend the rest of her miserable life under her own castle, hanging from the wall by her marionette chains. Furthermore, the riches that fat, greedy hen had squatted upon The treasures hidden in the vast dungeon beneath the castle were now his to reclaim. He would give them to their rightful owners, the people of Silmoral, when he returned. All except this warhammer. This was a treasure he would keep for himself and use to smite the devilish Zations. True, the ruins they explored were dangerous, very, but what had he to fear with the mighty Dainor and the crafty Yumia by his side? Between the three of them, no puzzle could confound them, no trap could catch them unawares, and no monster could match their strength. They had already bested many of the hazards that guarded the place, and so this next obstacle concerned him not. Vincis studied the double doors that blocked the way. A distorted but human face worked in metal, occupied the center of the doors, so that the vertical seam in the middle bisected it perfectly. You mean said Vincis. He pointed the head of the warhammer at the door. As nightly a place to hide a trap as any... Yumiya was small and twitched nervously, like a mouse. She had dull brown hair that she wore cut short above the ears. It might have made her look boyish if it weren't for the twin scars that ran diagonally across her face. One of them cut right through her left eye, which was now covered with a patch. She smiled a crooked smile and patted off ahead to investigate the double door. Vincent spoke with Danor while the thief did her work. I feel we are close to the heart of this place, Daenor, and that the best is yet to come. The elder wizard nodded sagely, without looking at the warrior. He was watching Yumiya, who was being even more cautious than usual, keeping a little distance from the door, and refraining from touching it as she poured systematically over its surface from bottom to top with her one good eye. But what say you? Is this not the finest weapon you have ever laid eyes on, friend? (laughs) Daenor pulled his gaze away from Yumiya. He never took anything at face value. Nor agreed with anyone readily, so he inspected the weapon clutched in Vincis' mailed fist with careful consideration. Danor had gray eyes and a long blade of a nose. His shiny silver hair was mostly covered under the hood of a black cloak decorated with red stars. On each finger he wore a jeweled ring and around his neck a tight black choker set with a huge emerald. He was squinting at the runes written along the hammer's length. When he got to the one on the side of the hammer's head, he blinked and frowned. He lifted his lantern to better see, and Vinces, who was well accustomed to his companion's meticulous ways by now, proffered the weapon so he might better see whatever had taken his interest. With a tentative finger, Daenor touched the rune and mumbled a spell. His eyes closed and then opened again. When they did, they were no longer grey. Now his eyes were colorless orbs of diffused white, like balls of ice. They studied the rune intently for a few moments before Danor blinked, and his own gray eyes were back. Frowning even more deeply, he whispered a name. Ahead, Yumiya gave a little yelp of surprise as the double doors swung open and inward before her. Do you enjoy old-school RPGs? Do you love stories of sword and sorcery? Are you tired of the typical actual plays and long, unedited podcasts? Then look no further than Legends from the Fireside, a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast. A podcast filled with tales of adventure and heroism, all at the mercy of the roll of the dice. There's no telling where the story will go and where we will end up. No life is sacred, and no one's survival is guaranteed. You can find the show on all major podcast platforms, and we hope you enjoy Legends from the Fireside. In real life, I'm not much for gambling. I don't care for casinos, and I never got into poker the way a lot of my friends did. But today i kind of feel like taking a risk until now i had already decided who was following the pcs and why it was just another logical move made by an npc and it added a new dimension to the story that i liked but then i thought you know there are multiple factions that might have the pcs tailed and for different reasons maybe i should roll it and you know throw a wrench into my own works hmm more chaos sounds good to me where do i sign up The way I see it, there are at least four factions who might want to spy on Yellowfly's gang. There's the Authorities and the Weeping Eye, those are the obvious ones. Then there's Sister Aranes, and finally the Church itself. I'll just roll a d4 and see what happens. Huh, a three. Turns out the Dice Gods and I had the same idea for once. Well, let's see how this plays out in the narrative. Chapter 26 Part 3 Day one hundred and five. Past midnight. She answered the door in her bedclothes. He could see right away that she had not been sleeping, and this was to be expected. Sister Aaron S. had been waiting up for hours to receive this visitor. She bade the young man enter and directed him to hang up his cloak and remove his boots before joining her at a small table that already had a pair of cups full of steaming hot chicory. This was her preferred drink during the winter months, as she found it eased her arthritis. The man was shivering with cold when he came to the table. She flicked a spider off her sleeve. It was the third one she had seen tonight and poured him a cup of the fragrant brew. He accepted it gratefully and held it in his hands to warm them up for a while before drinking. The young man's name was Brother Hoyden. Of all the men and women in the Church of the Sacred Flame, he was the one Erin trusted the most that's why he had been entrusted with this special task. Hoyden was her third cousin, and Erin believed that there was no bond stronger than blood in this world. His job had been to follow Catsbane for a few hours, and then report. She had set Hoyden up as well as she could, from forcing Catsbane to borrow her book, to arranging a private pickup for their payment. All of that had been arranged so that she might set Hoyden after him unobserved. Simply put, she did not fully trust Catsbane, or Shawnee or the others for that matter. The non-religious were fickle and weak-hearted, and in her experience, lacked virtue and moral rigidity. She wouldn't have been so suspicious if it had not been for Catsbane's insistence on having access to her library. Why was this young man of the Thieves' Guild so interested in demonology? It didn't make sense, and she didn't like it, especially with all that had happened lately. These so-called church members that she was forced to invite into her own temple must know more than they were letting on. She didn't like that either. It was true that they had served her well and retrieved the symbol for her. That could not be overlooked. But Catsbane had made a point to inquire about that when he had come to retrieve his payment. Simple curiosity, or something else. When he asked her if she had learned anything new, she had told him that she had not. But that had been a lie. Hoyden's report that they had spotted him and given chase was a disappointment but they had not caught him, and that was the important thing. Privately, she felt guilty for having put him in such a dangerous position. After all, Hoyden was not skilled in such things, and who knows what Yellowfly's gang would have done to him had they caught him. It was not a pleasant thought. Sadal forbid that such a thing should ever come to pass. After half an hour, Hoyden had told all he had to tell and finished his drink. He took his leave and Aranes went to bed. On her nightstand was the history book she had lent Catsbane, and beside that, yet another spider, and it was a fat, ugly one, too. Ugh, she didn't wish these creatures any harm, but she could not abide going to sleep with one so close to her face, so she picked up the book and smashed it flat. Chapter 26 Part 4 Day 106 Late Afternoon Party Status The party's status is unchanged. Something small like this, we'd just drop a chicken down it. It would flap its wings like mad, you know, and that would clean out most of the soot. Chicken got dirty though. Cole was sharing some farm wisdom with Yellowfly, Janelle, and one of her sons, a good-natured boy of 18 named Easley, as they all pitched in to clean the wind of the cliff's clogged chimney. Winter was not an ideal time for such an endeavor, but Janelle had explained that if they didn't clean it soon, she would have to change their family business from an inn to a smokehouse. With no chickens at hand, the quartet was employing a somewhat more humane and less frantic technique. They had put together a thick, bristly bundle of holly, knotted together. This was tied to the middle of a length of good, strong rope. One end of the rope was fed in through the top of the chimney, and then all that was left was to pull the spiky bunch all the way to the bottom. Clods of caked soot and clouds of ash came out as they yanked the bundle through. It was filthy work, and the three of them in the kitchen looked like grey-haired phantoms when they were done. Not one to miss an opportunity for sport, Easley would later tease them that his rooftop duty in the wind and the cold was the better one when all was said and done. In compensation for their labor, Janelle waived the room fee for the second night and even fed them a supper of boiled potatoes and beets. It was bland fare, but at least it was filling. Later that evening, Easley came back inside, kicking snow off his boots and wiping his runny nose with his cloak. He reported that he'd been to their apartment and found nobody watching it. Furthermore, following Yellowfly's instructions, he'd used their key to let himself in and discovered no evidence of intrusion. He handed the key back to Yellowfly and shrugged, saying everything looked as it should. Then he sat down to the plate of potatoes his mother put in front of him and dug in. A few hours before bedtime, easily collected all who were willing and produced a set of knuckle-bone dice, suggesting they play a few rounds of past ten. Janelle, who loved gambling games, joined in, as did Cole and Yellowfly. Catsbane and Shawnee declined to play, but sat down to watch the fun. Janelle wanted to test out her newly cleaned chimney, so she lit the hob and they played in the kitchen where it was warm. She also heated a pot of cheap wine and put in a few drops of honey, as well as a stick of cinnamon. As the wine mulled, she complained about Culfree's snow tax and cleared the table for an evening of drinks and dice. The game these four are playing is a real medieval dice game called Pastis, or Past Ten in English. The rules are simple. Everyone puts down a stake. In this game, it's one copper penny. Then the game begins. At random, one player starts as The Banker. This title will get passed to the player to the left each round. The banker does not throw dice. The other players do, though, one by one. Each time they roll under ten, everyone but the banker loses their stake, who collects them. When a player rolls above 10, the banker must double all players' stakes. That's the whole game. Let's play a few rounds, shall we? Just for fun. It's true that the consequences for this game are, I admit, very low. But I think it's nice to turn the soup down to a simmer for a little while. It'll be boiling once again soon enough. Still, while the financial implications for this game are negligible, we could make it just a little more interesting by saying, oh, how about if the PCs come out on top after four rounds, I'll say that Lady Luck is on their side and award a plus one bonus to their next roll. Of course, if they lose, that bonus will be a minus one penalty instead. Let's play. Round one, everyone puts down a penny. Janelle is the banker. It's Yellowfly's turn. He needs to roll a 10 or better on 3d6. His roll? A nine. He loses and Janelle collects three pennies, one from each player. New stakes are placed. Cole's roll. A 14. Janelle must hand back all that she's just collected. New bets are placed. Easily picks up the dice and rolls. Another 14. Now his mother is out of pocket as she awards one copper to each of the other three players. It is round two. Janelle is down two coins, everyone else is up one. Yellowfly is the banker. Bets are placed. Cole rolls the dice. A 10, he scrapes by with a win and Yellowfly must pay. New bets are placed and easily rolls. A 13, Yellowfly is into his purse again, ouch. Janelle is the last to play this round. Bets are placed and she throws the bones. A 7 means she loses, as do the others, who hand over their coins to a grinning yellowfly. That's the end of round 2. Let's play one final round, and then we'll leave them to their fun. Round 3. Janelle is up 1, yellowfly is down 1, Cole and Easley are each up 3. Cole is the banker. Bets are placed and Easley throws. A 12 wins and Cole must pay out. New coins are bet and Janelle picks up the dice. She blows on them for luck and throws an eight. Bad breath maybe? Everyone must pay the banker. Yellowfly will be the last to play. Bets are placed and he throws. What is the will of the bones? Another eight. Time to pay the smirking banker once again. Cole rakes in another three coins. This is how the game stands and where we'll bow out and leave the table. Janelle is at break even. Yellowfly is down two. Cole is up five and easily is up two. Looks like, when all is said and done, fortune favors the farmer. Coal is the winner, and our PCs will enjoy a plus-one bonus on their next roll. Let's hope it is an important one. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoy the show and would like to lend your support, there are lots of ways to help. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, The Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on Drive RPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show in these ways. I'd like to share one of your kind reviews right now, and this one is on Apple Podcasts. It was posted by Royal Fish Games. Royal Fish Games writes, This is a unique actual play, styled as a radio show. John takes old-school role-playing to the next level, using dice to decide the actions of most of the characters most of the time. The action is riveting, the story is very engaging, and the concept is one of a kind. I'm absolutely hooked, and I've been telling everyone who will stand to listen about this fantastic listening experience. Do yourself a favor, no kidding. Wow, Royal Fish Games, I just can't thank you enough for that extremely kind review, even more so for telling your friends to give it a shot. Word of mouth is by far the best way for the show to grow. And the more the show grows, the better job I can do with it. Please keep spreading the word. I'll keep making more episodes. Also, supporting the show with their talent is my lovely cast of voice actors. Both Catsbane and the mage, Danor, are voiced by the always excellent Kai Ellen. Find his work on SoundCloud free for anyone to use. You can also search for him on Spotify, Bandcamp, and other music stores. Carrick Malmar, The Basilisk of Whitestone Castle is played once again by Josh of Mudbeggar Games. With a voice like that, I just had to invite him back, and I think we'll hear from him again before too long. Finally, playing the voice of King Vincis, I'm very pleased to welcome to the show the inimitable and indomitable Runehammer. Runehammer is something of a dynamo, and has all sorts of stuff going on. Let me direct you to a couple of my favorites. Many will know about his game Index Card RPG, or ICRPG for short. Runehammer also has a popular YouTube channel with tons of great content. Find it by searching at Runehammer1 on YouTube. Thanks to all three of you for your contribution to the show. If anyone listening wants to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials. At Manticore Tale on Twitter, or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is tailofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of tale of the manticore the story where chaos rolls are you looking for an actual play podcast with young hot role players disciplined professional voice actors and wholesome content well this isn't that podcast a R P G is an adults-only podcast with interviews, actual play stories, where... Uh, excuse me, Matt, why do you sound like you've been chain smoking since you were a toddler? What do you mean? Uh, the voice. You don't have to do that voice, man. I don't? Nah, just tell them that we're a group of old friends who like to get together, hang out, play lots of different types of games, and we want them to feel like they're sitting at the table with us. And they can find us just by searching for the AARPG podcast on their favorite podcatcher and at the AARPGs on YouTube.